Hello and welcome to Weekly MTG. We were off last week, but we are back now. Yeah, and we were off for a very specific reason. The Pro Tour happened last week. The Pro Tour happened yeah. last week. I was in Minneapolis. We had the Silver Showcase on Thursday. It was a whole deal. We weren't here. Hopefully you were watching. Hopefully you were watching. If you weren't, we're going to catch you up a little bit yeah. on the Pro Tour today. Uh, we have two-thirds of the winning team Hot Sauce Games here today. Yeah, Not do. here. Not, not in the not studio. Not physically here. They are not from Seattle, so they're not here. But they are but, joining us live by satellite. Yes, yes, they are. Live by satellite. That's what they say, right? That live is, by that's satellite. That's the thing they yeah. say. Uh, yeah. That's why we have these fancy little headphones on, so that they can hear us and each other and all that jazz. Uh, but first, why don't we meet the players of Hot Sauce Games? Let's look at their profiles. Alan Wu, um, all three players are from the United States. Uh, Alan's the one who could not join us today. Uh, but you see he has a Pro Tour Top 8 to his name and a couple Grand Prix Top 8s. He's silver. Um, he won Grand Prix Albuquerque a couple years ago. And Alan was the legacy player on the team. He was the legacy player. And then we had Ben Hull, who was the modern player yep. out of Canada. Uh, he is joining us today from Vancouver, live via satellite. Live via satellite. Live via satellite. <laughs> he actually has a couple Pro Tour top eights. And then we have Gregory Orange, the Orange Assassin, um, or the Citrus Assassin. Citrus Assassin. Yeah, ah, I can't believe I screwed that up. I screwed that up <laughs> after we went after we went through that we whole thing. Went through thing. a pre-show. We yeah. talked to Greg. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, Greg played standard. Yes, he did. And he had our, my favorite deck of. Maybe the tournament. Of which anybody that knows you was not surprised. And anyone that. that knows Greg yeah. is not surprised. Exactly. So let's, uh, without further ado, let's bring Greg and Ben onto the stream and say hi to all the peoples out there. Say hey hi. there, guys. How's it going? Good. 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 Thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Congratulations on your Pro Tour 25th anniversary win. Yeah, thanks for having us. <laughs> yep. So for those who don't know at home, Greg is on the left, uh, appropriately in the orange shirt. Was that was that purposeful, <laughs> was that Greg? Was that on purpose? Uh, in my experience, most things tend to be orange, so. It's just a <laughs> <coincidence>. <laughs> uh, and then uh, and so Greg's calling in from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and then Ben Hull is coming to us from Vancouver. Hey, Ben. Hey. And you're sporting the the hot sauce gear. Yep. Yeah, so in support you, of your team. Yeah, obviously. so Team Hot Sauce Games. How how did that come to be? Uh, well, <laughs> I guess my friend like Adam Jansen uh, asked me to be on the team, basically, and then we got Ben to be on the team, and Ben knew Alan, so he got Ben to be on our like uh, pro team for the 25th anniversary PT. So. Well, everything worked out nice. Yeah, yeah apparently. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a really organic process. That's so great. how well did you all know each other beforehand? Uh, Greg and I had, we'd been on the team series team for the last few Pro Tours, but I mean, reasonably, you know, reasonably close for a team, but not, not like friends forever type thing. <laughs> uh, maybe better now, though. A little closer now, yeah. And, and I've known Alan since... A few months after my Kaladesh top eight, I kind of fell in with the testing group that he was with, and okay. that worked out pretty good. Uh, and where's Alan from? Uh, somewhere in California. Okay. <laughs> nice. All right, so uh, Greg, you played Standard, Ben, you played Modern, and then Alan played Legacy. How did you guys decide who played what format? 
Uh, well, Alan wanted to play Legacy, and he, that was basically the whole reason he wanted to play the event in the first okay. place. So, and, well, I guess it's a good thing that he got to play Legacy then. Yeah, and then I just didn't really want to play Modern, so then that's how we ended up there, I guess. <laughs> and then and then Ben played Modern. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he got stuck with the Modern cards. <laughs> uh, do you guys feel any different now that you're Pro Tour champions? Uh... I, I think I do. It feels weird. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it is still pretty soon after after the win. We're talking like the week after, and yeah, and yeah. all the all the media inquiries are flooding in. Well, <laughs> us, us. I mean, specifically. Yeah, yeah. we did this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was it was a pretty crazy finals, and I think there were some huge nail biter moments on both sides uh, for both teams. But for you guys uh, specifically, there were there were a couple of moments that I definitely wanted to call out and sort of hear about what your thought process was. Uh, ben in the in the Ben Mara match, Ben Hall versus Ben Stark. Uh, game three, you're you're in a great position against Ben Stark. Uh, he hasn't been able to find his combo yet. Uh, you know he's at one life, and he starts to just draw a million cards. Uh, he you know he starts to go off on his deck. Uh, you're in great position up until that particular turn, but as he's starting to continue to to dig through his deck and maybe try to find these pieces of uh of the uh, Ironworks combo, what was going through your mind? Were you were you nervous at all that he was maybe going to be able to take this game away from you? I don't know. I mean, it the, the way it works is sometimes he hits it there and sometimes he doesn't. They're just going to sit patiently and either <laughs> lose the game on the spot or get to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was it was really interesting, I think, that you chose to play Hollow One for this tournament. Uh, what, what went into that, that decision? It's definitely one of the higher variance decks in Modern, but certainly mm-hmm. has... As we saw in the finals, uh, a huge payoff a lot of the time. So it was, you know, talking to everybody I know that knows this stuff, it was one of the three, like, best decks, humans and KCI being the other choices. And originally I kind of defaulted to playing KCI, and then people were kind of getting cold on the deck. Not that they thought it was bad, just that they thought people would be more prepared for it, and Alan suggested Hollow One because it would be uh, more in line with my uh, skills and preferences, and I enjoyed it a lot, so just kind of ran with it. Mm-hmm. So I guess you knew KCI pretty well going into the into the. Oh no. no, no, no. <laughs> I, I don't play constructed. The only constructed magic I ever play is preparing for tournaments like PTs and GPs, mm-hmm. and I didn't actually play a match of KCI. Uh, during testing, but I kind of talked to people and, you know, watched some videos. And then, then once I tried hollow one and I was actually enjoying it and the deck seemed reasonably powerful, it might not have been the best choice for the tournament, but it worked out reasonably well. And (laughs) just reasonably, just reasonably. I, uh, I do want to touch on game four as well. Uh, the, the game that sort of decided the match and, uh, and made uh, that that was essentially the game that made you guys Pro Tour champions. Oh hi, didn't yeah. see you there. Oh oh, interesting. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. So we had a little technical blip there, but we're back. We are, and uh, we were we were talking about uh, game four, Ben. Uh, again, the the matchup of Ben Hall on Hollow One all, versus all ben the Thopters. Case, yeah. yeah, all the Thopters through Simaster Thopters. You you once again so close to closing out this game, and uh, and it just seemed like every turn. Uh, Ben Stark was able to buy a little bit more time. Uh, talk a little bit about what you were thinking at that point. Was it just at that at that point, buckle down, 
make sure you can grind through uh, so that he doesn't have any other options. But what was uh, what was your thought process there? Yeah, we were just trying to maximize the odds of killing him before he can, you know, assemble a, you know, answer for the ley line and then maybe combo. And I mean, with the blood gas and the, you know, phoenixes in the deck, we can grind through thopters. It's not... Mm-hmm. Not to I, mention the, the four faithless lootings that you had in your graveyard. Yeah, definitely. The, yeah. I mean, Psy was quite impressive. I, I was quite impressed with what it was doing on the other side of the table, but we were in a pretty good position. And then at absolute worst, if we lost that game, we had game five on the play where we're heavily favored from okay. being on the play. Yeah. yeah. So. Now, you guys, you, every one of your answers, you guys sound so cool and calm and collected about yeah. these really high stakes matches was there any point in the tournament where you guys were like oh my god we're we're doing really well we have a shot at this or did you just are you guys of the mindset we just keep playing until someone tells us to stop pretty uh, much yeah <laughs> yeah yeah okay i tried not to think about it too much i guess <laughs> did it sink when did it sink in after yeah the that's tournament? that's what i want to know uh probably immediately because what happened is, like, a bunch of my friends from Minneapolis were watching on the sidelines. They started cheering and running up, like, onto the stage, basically. So That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, and speaking of uh, at the end of the tournament, why don't you, for those, for the people at home who've never won a Pro Tour. Oh, yeah, which is yeah. A, probably a fair, I've, I've never won a Pro Tour. So. What, happens, <laughs> what happens immediately after you won the Pro Tour? What because I know we run you guys through a gauntlet of stuff. Why don't you take the people at home through all the things that happen after you win the Pro Tour? Uh, mostly just a bunch of pictures and interviews. I guess we had an interview with uh, the Japanese coverage and Japanese. yeah, and uh, regular coverage and a bunch of pictures. He took a picture by the Big Spoon in Minneapolis mm-hmm. and whatnot. So. Nice. Uh, so go, going back to sort of that that finals match and uh greg i do want to i do want to get to you because i think you you got to you got to do some pretty crazy things with uh blue white control on camera but uh since even though alan's not here i did want to talk about a nail biter moment at least i think on on stream for a lot of a lot of our viewers uh there was that that i think it was game three where uh alan was down down two games at that point it was pre-sideboard uh Alan was having to battle through three times Dread of Night, and then uh, that play where he got his batter skull dazed three times. Uh, that was <laughs> yeah. that was a crazy game, uh, and I saw I saw on the stream that you guys were definitely watching from the sidelines. Uh, yeah. What was that like for you, seeing seeing that your teammate had had to battle through that, and then uh, what was your feeling when he did actually finally take that game? Uh, I guess my feeling I wasn't too excited about it because it seemed like. <laughs> It seemed like me or Ben were going to have to win because Alan was down like 0-2 to two, and it didn't seem terribly likely that he was going to win the next two games mm-hmm, given right. that his opponent had three Dreaded Knights in his sideboard. Yeah, it's an insane amount. But winning that game was definitely sweet. Yeah. It gave me hope. So. Sweet, but uh, before we went into the finals, Alan said to win the match, he had to win the first two games and he lost <laughs> oh. both of them. So I'd basically written off the match. I mean, they're... I think he he thought he was five percent to win after he lost the first two games, mm-hmm. and then I mean it was it was cool that he won and the game was exciting, but I had basically no hope that he was winning the match at that point. Got okay. it. Yeah. Well, now how did you? Because you guys played in the finals against a like a truly powerhouse team. They were all Hall of Famers. So Josh Utter, Layton, uh, Martin Yuza, and Ben Stark. 
how did you guys feel coming into the finals being paired up against that kind of team? Uh, we played them once already, and we won the first time. So, yeah, that's, I mean, <laughs> like that, been, that's been there, yeah, done that. That's a whatever. pretty good confidence booster for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, I, go, sorry, go ahead. I, like, even if you're playing against people that are better than you, you know, it's magic. You still have a solid chance of winning, and and the matchups are, you know, and being on the play was pretty huge. So, mm-hmm. I think we were probably favored slightly, given that we were on the play. Yeah. the whole thing because you guys were the higher seed. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, no, 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 go ahead, Greg. It's also nice from playing blue-white that you get to, I mean, in the finals, you get to see your opponent's deck list so you know what you have to, like, play around. Mm-hmm. So, like, I saw his sideboard, so I knew he didn't have that many, like, sweet sideboard cards for blue-white control so mm-hmm. or to bring in against me. So that was, <laughs> I felt pretty good about that, you know. Well, you know, while watching the stream, and I think uh, I think a lot of people who were watching the stream agreed with this. Marshall Sutcliffe was saying that uh, that you were basically just putting on a clinic uh, for blue white control in standard. And let's actually man, we can we can pull up the graphic of his deck list. So yeah. let's look at Greg's deck. And Greg, you're you're pretty well known for playing blue white control. Um, how, how long have you been playing blue white control decks? <laughs> Uh, let's see. I think I since like original Ravnica, probably like when Compulsive Research was printed. Okay. I um. Yeah, I remember playing in some event. I think it might have been like a ju- junior super series or something. And I was just getting crushed with like my green red deck or something like that. And I saw someone went like at the top tables with like. Fates fetters and draw spells and whatnot in their yep. deck, and I'm like, man, I just want to do that. That looks way <laughs> sweeter than these like creatures and such. <laughs> I mean, it's, this is this is kind of representative. Yeah. Of, so of tell that tell us strategy. about this deck. How did you how did you come to this particular list? Um. Well, the main deck is pretty much just what I played at the last PT, mm-hmm. and it worked. It was pretty good for me um, in that event, and. It seemed like people weren't trying to beat it as hard as they were previously in the uh, the season or whatever. So mm-hmm. I felt like it was in a good spot, but I probably would have played it no matter what. So I just got lucky <laughs> that it was good this time. <laughs> and I think a, a card that definitely uh, was an all-star in in one of your games, I, for, I, I'm sorry, I can't recall which, I think it was one of the later games in the finals, was uh, Arch of Orozca. That card seemed to really, really overperform for you in uh, in that particular game. When I think that was the deciding uh, deciding game for the match, was it not? Uh, yeah, I like. I feel like Arch is underrated. It just makes it so you don't have to worry about flooding out too badly, mm-hmm. and you don't have to worry about. I think it's good against like duress and whatnot going going into the late game, and a lot of people um, play the we'll see at the the memorial which I basically decided to play just uh, the blue-white tap land instead and to make more colored sources for Arch because once Arch gets growing, it can like draw you like five cards or whatever mm-hmm. or something insane. It's pretty, I don't know. Yeah, that no, was my reasoning. <laughs> for sure, and it seemed like that card advantage, advantage engine was, uh, was super online during that game, and uh, it was just it was really cool to see how this deck works at peak efficiency, uh, you know, just essentially... Lo- uh, lowering your opponent's options more and more until mm-hmm. they literally have no more options because you've, you've run them out of cards and permanents <laughs> on the board and, uh, when it comes to the Teferi emblem. Uh, now, is there any are there any changes you'd make to the deck? Um, 
though. <laughs> it's perfect. Really. Yeah, I want a pro tour. You know. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> I I really enjoyed. Uh, you know, props props to you for piling that deck. It doesn't seem like it's a very easy deck to pilot. There are a lot of decision choices, mm -hmm. a lot of uh, a lot of branching points that uh, many people would take different lines. And I think that uh, again, as as Marshall said on stream, it it really was a clinic on what what you can do with blue white control and how it is supposed to be played. So. Uh, you know, congratulations to you on that, and obviously it paid off with with you winning the Pro Tour. So, uh, really awesome deck, really cool. Uh, I'd love to I'd love to move on to, to yeah, Ben's Hollow deck. deck. Let's take a, let's take a look at that. So Ben, where tell us where this list came from? It looks relatively stock with a little bit of spice around the edges. Yeah, it's basically we took the stock list, uh, you know, the, the one that Sigris played at some event. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, I was looking at a bunch of lists, and the, most of them were pretty close. Uh, mm -hmm. We just went up to four ley lines and trimmed a Lavamancer for that, uh, which was probably a mistake. Probably should have trimmed an E, um, but I was certainly glad to have the fourth ley line. Yeah, yeah, that that was a pretty key card in in the deciding against match. Ben, yep. Yeah, against Ben. Uh, is there anything you'd change in this list? I. I mean, I I don't know anything about constructed, but I <laughs> think may, maybe trimming the E for a Lavamancer in the board is a pretty easy sure. change if you're continuing with the deck. Now, when you when you say you don't know much about constructed, what was your record in this event? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so when when he says he doesn't know a lot about constructed, he means he really like nothing. In nothing. No, record, he doesn't know his like, record. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was winning like a reasonable share of my matches. Yeah, uh, but I don't know the deck. The deck's pretty. I mean. Maybe the deck isn't easy to play, but the the difficulty is the kinds of things that I'm I'm you know decent at, and it's not all that difficult. So just put some hollow ones into play, you know, attacked with some flame blade adepts, and then kill people. Yeah, yeah. no, seems Pretty simple good. enough. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we do also, I believe, have Alan Alan Wu's deck. Yes, list, we also uh, have. That Alan's we can deck. take a quick look at uh, death and taxes for legacy. Uh, again, I think Blake pretty pretty stock list here. Uh, with a little bit of spice around the edges. Yeah, relatively. It's it's probably even more stock than normal. Obviously, people remember the Palace Jailers. Oh, yeah. From the end. And that's that's become relatively stock. But people also now have been throwing Brightlings into the mix, which uh, Alan skipped. Uh, yeah, generally speaking, this was a pretty stock list, and Alan played it really well. Yeah, the, the, there were a couple of moments in the finals with the Palace Jailer, some pretty sweet plays involving Stoneforge Mystic and Batterskull. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if... Do yourself a favor if you haven't uh, had a chance to watch the video on demand of uh, of PT twenty five A. Really worth going back and watching the entire match. I mean, all everybody uh, on both teams played extremely well. Uh, I I think that there were some really standout moments that were that were really uh, representative of what Magic can do. Mm -hmm. uh, so really, really worth taking a look if you haven't done that yet. Uh, now, Greg, I heard. You you had a side activity between the semifinals and finals where most people would be prepping or looking at notes. What were you up to? <laughs> uh, well, my friends from Minneapolis were there, and they're like, hey, Greg, you want to just do a draft? They're running th free drafts around here. And I'm like, <laughs> you know what? Sure. <laughs> so I just played a free uh, PT side draft and lost the first round and then played the finals of the PT afterwards. <laughs> No, I mean, no was, was your, magic, I mean, you yeah. lost, but was your was your deck any good? Was it sweet? Uh, it was kind of sweet. It had some like 
grindy cards in it. I think there was a green seeker in there or something. So. Yeah. Ben, what were you doing during this time? Uh, just chilling out and talking to people. I, yeah. I just did not want to be playing Magic. That's fair. <laughs> so it's polar opposites between... Uh, between yeah, the, and, like, uh, the... the limited master yeah. decides to not play limited, and the constructed blue-white <laughs> master drafts a not blue-white deck. Yeah, yeah. Blue was in it, to be fair. There was blue. Blue was in it. Yeah. All right, well, uh, congratulations, guys. Uh, Greg, you've got a... Uh, we're about to let you go, but you have a podcast that you've just started. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's just on YouTube right now. It's called Wheelcast. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's uh, just a podcast, a magic podcast about spinning wheels where it doesn't end until you roll the end of the podcast. So you never know how long it's going to be. <laughs> well, that's that's a fun thing for your for your listeners, for sure. Yep. So yeah. check out the Wheelcast on YouTube. You've got you say you've got four episodes. Yeah, four episodes, okay. but still in like the starting stages, trying to get things figured out. But makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Congratulations <laughs> yeah, again, congratulations. and uh, we'll see you guys at the World Thank Championship. You. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much for being here. All right. Bye, guys. Yeah. Bye. So yeah, they're going to be headed off to the Ooh. World Championships, which is uh, and we can take these headphones off. Yes, World Championships, which is a really fun event. Um, I know that you've been a few times, Blake, for, for coverage. Yeah. Never as a competitor, but... Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Actually, <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I'm not allowed to. Yeah. Uh, but we do want to talk about, uh, again, for those of you who missed the finals, we want to talk about the team that they were facing down in the finals, which was a truly powerhouse team. Yeah, this was a really tough team to beat, and I think going in, a lot of people had high hopes that... Uh, and certainly that team had high hopes. That yep, they would, and this was yeah. probably the most high-stakes match possible for this team. Yeah, for sure. There was sure. a lot going on. So first, let's meet them. So we had... Ben Stark. Ben Stark is known as a limited master, uh, but he's pretty darn good at constructing. Yeah, too. no kidding. Take a look at those stats. I mean, uh, you've got what is it? A, a bunch of a bunch of pro points. Uh, you know, lifetime earnings. Five pro tour top eights. Twenty four Grand Prix top eights. Yep. And he's a gold pro. And he's got a bunch of titles as well. This is uh, his pro tour victory was in constructed. Yep. It was a the Cobblade. Oh, yeah, back in the day of Cobbler. That was him. I Thanks, remember ben. that deck. <laughs> Thanks for that, Ben. But, yeah, I, th I do think it was pretty funny that the, the two limited masters oh, yeah. uh, on the team ended up facing each other. So Ben was playing modern. Uh, uh, then we had Martin Yuza, also known as a limited GP all-star, but he's got four Pro Tour top eights to his name. Uh, platinum and Pro as well. Platinum, so many Pro points that it doesn't, doesn't matter. You can't count them. <laughs> we have a number up there, but it could be anything. Uh, and then we finally had Josh Utter Layton. Otherwise known as Raptor. Otherwise known as Raptor. And so here was uh, the thing, one of, one of the things that they were playing for in that finals was if they won the finals, Josh was going to be platinum yeah. for next season. Yeah. Uh, they just missed, so he's not going to be platinum. He will be gold. Uh, but... I have I have no doubt Josh is going to be just fine. Oh, I'm sure we'll see him. I'm sure we'll see him at many many many, uh, many competitive events. Uh, let's take a look line. at the decks they were playing. So Josh Utterlayton. So this was the uh, legacy deck of the tournament. Yes, it was. And uh, and man, talk about a powerhouse one mana creature in Death Shadow. Yep. Uh, it's the gift that just keeps on giving to you and taking from your opponent while still taking from you in the form of life points. So if you're not very familiar with Legacy. Uh, this, this before this tournament, 
was not really a deck. I mean, there are black-blue tempo-ish decks. They're mm -hmm. mostly based around Delver and Delve cards. Uh, Death Shadow was not one of the cards that was typically included in these lists. No. It's a modern port, really, but you pick up some cool things like, for example, Reanimate. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the cool plays this deck can make is cycling a Street Wraith on turn one and then immediately reanimating it. To immediately get that three power on you the board. You have a three, four yeah. Swamp Walker in play on turn two, and it also deals you enough damage that on turn two you can play Death Shadow. Yeah, and uh, reanimate also has a lot of cool party tricks in that it's not limited to your own graveyard. It can yep. also, uh, it has a pretty good matchup I've heard against uh, some of the reanimator decks in the field and Legacy. Yep. Uh, I heard on commentary that a uh, play that was made with this deck was uh, turn turn to reanimate my opponent's Iona. Uh, I think that was Lewis Scott Vargas. He also talked about reanimating Chancellor of the Annex yeah. from other decks that yeah. he thought sees out of him. Anyway, very powerful deck. This is kind of the new standard for Legacy. We just yeah. had some bannings in Deathrite Chauvin and Gitaxian Probe, and so people weren't exactly sure what the format is going to look like. This is enemy number one. Yeah, and uh, you can you can tell, those of you that know the modern deck, that the, the principles are very much the same. You know, mm -hmm. attack your own life total. Uh, this is this is a legacy deck that runs Shocklands. Yep. Because it's so vital that you can fetch out that Shockland and use it to deal damage to yourself mm -hmm. in order to make sure you can play those Death Shadows and they're not immediately going to die. Yep. Uh, so next, next, let's look at Martin Hughes' deck. So he played Standard. This was pretty, well, Standard. Standard. Uh, black, <laughs> black Red was the most played archetype at the Pro Tour. Yep. Uh, so you had your Hazarets, you have your Chandras. You have uh, your Goblin Chain Whirlers. You have your Chain Whirlers, your Bomat Couriers. Uh, Martin has played this deck at a number of events and found success at all of them, and it, it fits his playstyle really well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's not, uh, as Greg mentioned when we had him on, on stream just a moment ago, not a particularly good matchup against uh, Blue-White Control, mm -hmm. but definitely definitely a strong deck and has a lot of different uh, different ways to chunk down your opponent's life total. Yep, and I know Martin tore it up on day two. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then finally, Ben Stark. Let's look at Ben Stark's deck list. So this KCI, is KCI, known as Clan, Clan Ironworks. Ironworks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Steve, what does this deck do? Oh, Blake, this deck is crazy. Oh, my sweet summer It's crazy. Child. Yeah. It runes, uh So the key, the key card in here is Clark Clan Ironworks, okay. which allows you to sacrifice artifacts to get mana. Mm -hmm. uh, and the idea is you make essentially a, a giant loop, right, of, okay. uh, of artifacts with uh, Scrap Trawler and Mirror Retriever, Retriever. Uh, for you to be able to bring artifacts back and then sacrifice them over and over again, uh, eventually killing your opponent. So this deck existed before uh, recent months, but in a different form where people would get Emrakul. They'd get yes. enough mana and they'd cast Emrakul. And then the community kind of discovered this trick where, this is going to get in the weeds, anyone, everyone. If you don't know Modern, this is going to be very confusing. Yeah. But, so Krog Clan Ironworks is a mana ability. Exactly. If you sacrifice, that means that you can... Use the ability multiple times without abilities going on the stack. Mm -hmm. This is key for Scrap Trawler and Mirror Retriever. You can sacrifice if you cast a spell that has a mana cost. It cannot be something that costs zero. And you go to pay for it by sacrificing both Scrap Trawler and Mirror, Mirror Retriever. Retriever. Both of their, their abilities will go on the stack. You'll get two Scrap Trawler triggers and a Mirror Retriever trigger. You still with me? Yeah. Uh, and then you'll get two artifacts back into play, one artifact back into your hand. Right. At that point, if you have enough other trinkets lying around, you can go 
infinite. You can get infinite mana, infinite loops, and from there you can pirate spellbomb someone to death. Exactly. And the uh, the key cards in that particular combo beyond the Scrap Trawler and the Mirror Retriever, uh, Iker Wellspring, yep. which allows you to draw that extra card to make mm -hmm. sure that you can dig for those pyrite spell bombs, uh, as well as the I believe Chromatic Star is the other one that you want yep. because it'll it'll allow you to uh, filter your mana uh, for those for the key one of the key cards in the deck, Ancient Stirrings, which I believe is the only colored card in the deck. Um, which is uh, which allows you to find your combo pieces a little bit more easily. Yep, at least in the main deck. Yeah. There, there are a few sideboard cards that uh, are not artifacts. but And there's certainly a lot to keep track of with this deck as well. Uh, you, you'll notice if you go back and watch the video on demand that there are uh, there are met cards that say mana on top of them that mm -hmm. they'll bring in when he's uh, Ben Stark is executing the combo so he can keep track of how much red mana, yep. how much green mana, and how much colorless mana he has at any given moment. Uh, so that so that the game state is clear at all points of the game. Yep. Uh, it, it's a crazy thing to watch, and uh, there, the moment I mentioned to uh, Ben Hall, where Ben Stark was at one life in game three. Yeah. Uh, and it looks actually it, it it's a desperation play for so much of that match, but it it looks almost like he's gonna be able to pull it off. Uh, and that that one life that last turn lasts for a pretty long time, and it's a really cool thing to watch to see yep. him dig and execute and play at that high of a level. So one of the things that uh, Stark, Martin Yuza, and Josh Erdelayton were all playing for was the Team Series Finals. So we're yep. going to show you these are the Team Series results after this Pro Tour. And so what the teams were playing for was a shot at the top two. So the top two get together at the World Championship and they play for the Team Series Championship. That's right. And... Uh there were a lot of shakeups on this list after PC25A. A lot of shakeups. So we went into the tournament as coverage looking at this, and we we're like, Ultimate Guard, they've got this. Yeah. Uh, they've got this. They're, they they were started out 20, eight, oh, 20, 28 points ahead. Yeah, 28 yeah. points ahead. And um, they're full of the best players, some of the best players in the world. Yeah, I mean, so. it's a stacked team. Andrew Cuneo, John Finkel, Paul Rietzel, Reed Duke, uh, William Huey Jensen, and Owen Turtonwald, yep, the, all on that The Peach team. Garden Oath is there. Yep. So going in, we thought, there's no way this team doesn't just run away with this. Guess what happened? Spoiler alert, they did not run away with this. You, uh, you can see from the graphic, in fact, that they did not. They ended up in second place, but it was a sweat with Team Channel Fireball. So this was the other piece of the puzzle that Ben, Martin, and Josh were playing for, was if they had won in the finals, if they were the ones Skyping in today, yep. they would have been in second place and knocked Team Ultimate Guard out of this team finals. So you can tell from the from the standings, uh, Ultimate Guard Pro Team had 177 uh, points after P PT25A, and uh, team, team Channel Fireball had 173 points. It was yep. really, really close. And had Team Channel Fireball won PT25A, they would definitely have, have advanced to second yep. and been uh, been able to play in the finals for, yep. for the Team Series. And Team Channel Fireball was not only Martin, Ben, and Josh, but Luis Scott Vargas, Paulo Vitor Domodoros, and Mike Sigris. So that's Lots not a team I would names. ever bet against. Yeah. But they, they made up quite a bit of distance. They came into the weekend in seventh place in the Team which Series. Is, which is insane to jump from seventh to third. Yep. That's an achievement in and of itself. So just – they – Team Ultimate Guard started out with 153 points coming into the weekend. Channel Fireball just 95. Yeah. And they made the trek almost all the way back, but not quite. For sure. And uh, coming in at third, so uh, Channel Fireball, Channel Fireball, came Fireball in was third. third. Uh, and then part of that chart that we showed is uh, 
is that there were some teams that made the top 10 that weren't even in the top 10 at the start of the weekend. And yep. one of those was MTGO Traders. Yeah. Uh, you know, came in with 154 points at the end of the Pro Tour. I, I really feel like they came out of nowhere in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, they were the, the team of Jacob Wilson, uh, Matia Risi, and Shahar Shanhar. Uh, they came in ninth, and they were actually playing for the top four. Uh, if you were yeah. watching coverage, we had them in the feature match area because every match mattered for the last three rounds. Yeah. Every match that they had playing right up to the end was for the top eight, essentially. And they fell short in that last round. Yeah. They had to play for it. Everyone had to play. This was, by the way, the first Pro Tour we've had in my memory where we didn't have draws in the last round. Yeah, that's pretty insane. So that's part of the reason for that is this was a two-day no-cut tournament and teams could not be repaired against each other. So what you see is a lot of teams that rise to the top have some of them have already played against each other. Mm -hmm. So what you ended up hap what ended up happening was all the teams that were eligible to get into the top four at the end were all paired against one another, and everybody had to play. Yep, absolutely, everybody had to play. And unfortunately, Midco Traders was just on the wrong side of that. Yeah, to give you context, uh, they ended the day with thirty points. The cutoff was thirty three. Thirty three. Yep. One more, is... one more win, and they would have been in. But yeah, really great showing from MTGO Traders. Yep. Uh, I, I know we're probably going to see pretty big we things will, from them we'll in the definitely. future. I mean, Shahar Shenhar and Tom Martell are, are old hands at this. Jason exactly. Wilson has a pro tour top eight. Uh, next on the list, so in fifth place was Team Genesis. So Team Genesis is Brad Nelson, Brian Braun Seth Manfield, Corey Baumeister, Lucas Blohan, and Martin Mueller. So those are some pretty powerful magicians. Yeah, you know, I've heard I've heard of those people, those folks before, those players. They've, they've, uh, they've done pretty well. So I, I feel like we'll see them again. Yeah, I think so. They, uh, to be clear, they started in uh, they started the day the tournament in fifth place, and they ended yep. in fifth place. So not much of a shift there. But uh, Genesis is nothing if not consistent. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah, hopefully that consistency carries them through to the next team series. Uh, and in sixth place, we had Team Connected Company, who have the best name that, on this list. It's a pretty cool name. I do uh, like that name. But they did not have a great tournament. No, they didn't. They actually started the day in third place with mm -hmm. uh, with the hope to maybe advance to second with a really good showing. Yep. Uh, and unfortunately, they did drop to sixth. Uh, didn't have quite as good a showing as I think they were hoping for. Yep. But uh, still, still great team series overall for them. Uh, looking forward to seeing more from you know Christian Calcano, Javier Dominguez, Andre Mangucci, Jeremy Dizani, Ralph Levy, and uh, Tomoharu Saito in the future. Yeah, and yeah. obviously all those guys, have, they've had success before. Yeah, so and I'm pretty sure they'll have success again, for sure. Uh, then finishing seventh on the rankings this year. This to me was the biggest surprise. This was the biggest surprise. Yeah. Team Masashi, uh, this team far and away ran away with the Team Series Championship last oh, year. Oh, yeah, it was insane, the, the lead that they had. I mean, they were a lock for, for first very early on last yep. season. And uh, and definitely didn't have quite as good a showing this year as they did last year. Mm -hmm. uh, and Masashi is a Japanese team. Uh, Ken Yukihiro, Kentaro Yamamoto, Shota Yasuoka, uh, Teruya Kakamune. Uh, I butchered that. <laughs> Apologize. Yuki Ichikawa and Yuya Watanabe. It's a it's a stacked team, and uh, and they they started the day in fourth, ended up at seventh. Uh, again, a rare bad showing from them. Yeah, very very surprising mm -hmm. uh, for that team, but. Again, it is a stacked team, just like all of the teams just on like this all, list. Right, exactly. I, I don't think you could go through the top ten in this team team series and find a team that didn't wasn't at least a little bit stacked. Yeah, uh, it's kind of crazy, and it's going to be really cool to see the finals uh, mm -hmm. battle it out too. But we we have a couple more teams that we want to talk about here. Uh, eighth place, another another sort of come from behind uh, story. MTG Mint card. 
Uh, finished the finished the tournament with 127 points that catapulted them from not even in the top 10 at the beginning of the day to 8th. Yeah, so they are uh, largely an APAC team. Uh, Jason Chung, Kelvin Chu, Li Shi Tian, Eduardo Sajgelic, Huang Haoshan, and Yamwing Chung. Uh, so they, the, the team of Chung Chu and Li Shi Tian finished in 11th point place, again with 30 points. Right, three one, away from the cutoff. One yep. match out of the top four. And uh, Sajgelic, Haoshan, and Yamwing Chung finished in 35th with 25 points. And that point total is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, to, Not at all. to, uh, to give you context, they were, they were very, very close to MTGO Trader's uh, record, which was uh, 30 points for Wilson, Ritzi, and Shen Har, mm -hmm. and 28 points for Ayers, Rolf, and Martel. Yep. So, uh, you know, the difference between... It, it just goes to show how the difference between, uh, you know, these, these different places on the team series are, are by, like, games. Yeah. We're not, we're not even talking, like... Uh, we're not even talking that much of a difference. We're talking, like, maybe one game, yep. maybe two. Uh, so again, sort of a come and the the other the other names on this list will also be players and teams that were not on the top ten to start the tournament. Yep, and and it's worth noting, Li Shi Tian, I believe, is Hall of Fame eligible this year. Oh wow! I think. Okay, we're going to talk about the Hall of Fame on a future show. Yeah, but I think next week actually. Yeah, stay tuned. Next for week that. we're talking about the <laughs> Hall of Fame, uh, so we'll talk a little bit about him then. Uh, next on the list was Team Eureka. So they finished in ninth place in the team series. So that's Valentin Mackle, Patrick Dickmon, Steve Hatto, Elias Clocker. Boy, I'm going to butcher this. I apologize. Uh, Panagoidis Papadopoulos, uh, and then Alexa Telerov. So they finished in 24th and 36th place, respectively. Uh, team Eureka, they've kind of, they spell it with an EU because they're all from Europe. Oh, I get it. Get That's it? good. Okay. That's a good one. It is That's good. good. It's not as good as Collected Company. But yeah. it's Connected Company. Connected Company. Connected Company. Uh, and 10th place, 10th uh, place finish, again, come from behind, but a little bit surprising that they uh, they weren't on the that top 10 to, to begin with, that they had to yeah. come from behind. Uh, it's face-to-face -face games. Mm -hmm. uh, ended the series with 125 points. Uh, and this was a pretty stacked team, Blake. Uh, we had Eric Froelich, David Williams, and Gabe Nassif uh, on, on one team, and they actually came in fifth. They, they were came the closest. In fifth at 31 points. And again, yeah. 33 points was the cutoff. That yep. was, again, it's just one game instead of a draw. It was uh, razor thin. Yeah. And um, Dave Williams and Ben Rubin, so face to face, brought the deck most people were talking about after yeah, the turbo, the turbo fog deck. Yep. Turbo fog. Absolutely. And I'm going to answer a question about next fate yeah shortly yeah we'll but get any, to that but uh you know regardless these were these were all some really great teams some really great great play throughout the weekend uh congratulations to all the teams and a special congratulations to our top two finishers who will be facing off haria latin yeah. and ultimate guard yeah they'll be facing off in the team series championship at the world championships later on this year so keep an eye out for that uh the last bit we have is world cup slots so yeah. we were able to so um, we're going to show you the slots for the world cup these are not 100% final. There's still people double-checking, triple-checking, quadruple-checking all the numbers. We believe these are accurate. Yes, uh, but know that... You're going to see some asterisks. You're going to see yeah. some parentheses. That's because these are not final, uh, but they're pretty close to final. Yeah. So let's take a look at the World Championship slot. So these are the people who will be invited to the World Championships. We have three blank places on there. Those blank places have been decided. Yes, those are the winners of PT25A, two of whom were just on the show in case you missed it. Uh, that's that's the team of Hot Sauce Games, Alan Wu, Ben Hall, and Greg Orange. Yep, so all three of them earned an invite. 
everyone on this page are people who have won Pro Tours or were the Constructed or Draft Master. So Seth Manfield, Luis Salvato, and Wyatt Darby all won Pro Tours. And then Matt Severa and Elias Wasfeld, uh, I pronounced that incorrectly as well, uh, were the Constructed and Draft Masters as well. So we'll move on to the next slide. So these are our regional champions. And you see parentheses here, but these are actually final. So Seth Manfield is going to represent North America. Marcio Carvalho is going to represent Europe. Uh, he finished in the top four of Pro Tour 25A. Uh, APAC is going to be Ken Yukihiro. And then finally, we have Luis Salvato from Latin America. So that is a, that is a pretty stacked uh, Seth is a, is a former champion, yeah. of course. Yeah, uh, getting another chance to, to win, win a title. Yep, yeah. and of note here, Seth Manfield, currently the number one player in the world, mm -hmm. currently the leader for player of the year, but that season does not end until mid-September. Got it. Yeah, Got it. it's a little wonky this year. We're going through a bit of a transition, so those dates are not quite aligned. Uh, so Seth Manfield definitely has the lead over Reed Duke is currently in second place. Sure. Uh, but that is the player of the year is not final yet. Yep. But let's look at the at-large slots, which is going to give you a sense of who's at the top of the list that didn't already get an invite. Well, so, yeah, no surprise at the top of the list. It is Reed Duke, the number two player. Mm -hmm. And followed by Owen Turtenwald. Uh, and then we've got a lot of names you're going to recognize. We've got John Rolfe, Ben Stark, Martin Yuza. And of course, those asterisks, I believe that their pro points from the top four were not quite calculated when we built this slide, right. which is why you see those asterisks. That does not change their invite status. It just changes where it they are. It would just on move the list. them up a little bit in the list. It doesn't change anything on here. This list should be accurate. Again, these are not final. Please, if you're on this list, wait to hear from our OP team. These are just the current standings as we know them. Yep. Uh, you know, we obviously the uh, the final the final at large pro point owners will not uh, earners sorry will not know whether they've uh, they've earned the top number of pro points until yep. they receive their invite. So yep, and you see again some of the top names in the team series here: Brad Nelson, Shahar Shenhar, Brian Brondoin, Mike Sigrist. Brian Brondoin is of course a former world champion. Shahar Shenhar, Shahar Shenhar, two time former world championship yep. twice in a row. Um, and then we've got a couple others. Brad Nelson, former player of the year. Uh, Jerry Thompson, Pro Tour winner. This it's it's going to be a stacked world championships. Is basically this is as good as it gets. Yeah. You so, want to see some really good magic, definitely tune into the <laughs> world championships later this year. Because I, I love the world champs. Like yep. We were talking before the show. It's it, You said it's your favorite. It's the best of the tournament of the year. It's yeah. amazing. You get to see magic. That or like, the World Magic Cup. They're, yes. They're both pretty great. But. Yeah. But I... Uh, I always look forward to the World Championships every year to see some really high-level magic being played. Mm -hmm. um, this year, I think, is going to be no exception. Yep, absolutely. So today, for Q&A, we only have one question. But it's a big one. Yeah, I wonder what that could possibly be. And you're like. all going to yell at me afterwards. Um, <laughs> so we've gotten a lot of questions about Nexus of Fate. Yes. But uh, the one I get most often, and the one I'd like to clear up something, is uh, about the availability and the, the kind of the print run. For sure. We don't talk about print runs from Wizards of the Coast. Yeah. We just don't, we don't do it. I'm gonna make a little bit of an exception today for you, the viewer, the weekly MTG viewer. Uh, so, there have been a lot of articles written about Nexus of Fate oh, this yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, 
and there's a common misunderstanding. So let me read a couple things people have written about Nexus of Eight. And before I get into this, there have been, a, we've heard a lot of feedback. Oh, yeah. A lot of feedback. And we are listening to it and internalizing it. I've had discussions today. Uh, we're talking about how the distribution works for the buy box, uh, if we hit the right numbers for the store levels, if we need to go higher on some, lower on some, just to figure out the distribution. We talked about should they be foil or not. All of these things, we've heard the feedback. We are discussing these things internally. We're not ready to talk about any changes. If there are any changes, none of that. Um, but the common question we get is about how many Nexus of the Fates, right. Nexus of Fates are out in the world. So, for example, one writer wrote, having a card so short printed be standard legal and then appear in a format defining deck is without analog. Another writer wrote, quite simply, there has never been a relevant standard legal card with a lower supply relative to the rest of the card pool than Nexus of Fate. Another writer wrote, uh, the problem is that Nexus of Fate essentially created a new rarity overnight. Ultra Mythics have existed in other card games, and then they went on to talk about why. That so was the, wrong. these are all direct quotes from different articles yeah. that were written. So um, to set the record straight, there are more Nexus of Fates out in the world than there are for any given mythic from M19. So what does that mean? That means that includes all printed M19 product, everything we printed, whether it has been opened or not, there are more Nexus of Fates than any given mythic. So Nicol Bolas has X number, and Nexus of Fate has X plus Y number out in the world. So when people talk about it creating a new rarity, well, kind of, in that there are fewer copies than any given rare out in the world, but there are more copies than any given mythic. So in other words, it's more common than a mythic rare, but less common than a rare rare. Right. So uh, again, that's not going to make everyone happy. Sure. It's not. It's And, and this is meant as, as purely an explanation as yep. to what is and is not out there. Yep. And yeah. so because we've, we've seen a lot of discussion around this topic, and it's all good discussion, we are reading all of it. Yeah. Um, and so we hear the feedback. Uh, we're talking about a lot of things internally, but uh, just letting you know, there are more Nexus of Fates out there than you think. And uh, if you do have feedback, we'd encourage you to uh, let us know on social media through the official accounts, uh, Magic the Gathering on Facebook, yep. uh, at Wizards underscore Magic on Twitter, uh, Tumblr. We have a lot of our, our community managers watch those uh, channels pretty readily, and uh, we, we look forward to hearing your feedback on yep. this issue. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. That's it for the show today. Uh, I want to again thank Ben Hell and uh, the Citrus, the Citrus Assassin, yep. Ben Gregory Hull and Orange, Greg Orange, yep. uh, for joining us. And we'll be back next week with uh, an OP announcement. So we're going to announce some stuff for the Pro Tour next year. Yep. And then uh, coming up right now, right immediately after us, yeah, we've got uh, Numa the Nummy, yeah, Kenji Igashira. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks so much for joining us.